turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. You can do what you want to us, but we're not going to sit here and listen to you badmouth the United States of America. Gentlemen! This is the Weekend Answers Show. I'm Garrett Fay. I am with Jim Rickheimer. We are summing up the biggest stories of the week. What mattered this last week and what's going to matter next week going forward? Talking about the ongoing migrant crisis at the border. Biden wants a $2 trillion infrastructure bill. And then what's going on with COVID nationally and at home? California, Southern California enters the orange tier on the COVID scale. And then updating you on the George Floyd murder trial and a lot else. But, Riggy, the biggest story of the week is... Biden gets his $1.9 trillion COVID bill, and now he's moved on to a $2 trillion infrastructure bill. But yet the thing that's nagging him is this ongoing border crisis. And this last week, the administration finally allowed the press in, and the pictures we saw were not pretty. It shows that this thing is out of control, and it's really harming young children who are being brought here either against their will by their parents or without their parents or by smugglers. But I think we're seeing that the Biden administration really doesn't have control over the situation. Or they do have control over this situation. I mean, what is the end goal for the Biden administration? The end goal for the Biden administration and for the Democrats is to have more warm-bodied people to vote. That's all they want to do. They want to stay in power, so you need to do that. So the first thing they want to do is they want to get the 11 million people that are here illegally or undocumented, whatever word you want to use, get them to vote, get them a, a pathway to citizenship. And now what we want to do is we want to pump in you know, 100000 a month across the border, take care of them, feed them, clothe them, do whatever. So while the rest of the country says, oh, my gosh, look at this is a mess. It's a crisis. They go, well, there's no crisis here. This is as planned. This is what we're trying to do. We are trying to get more people that will vote Democrat forever because we gave them stuff. We give them free stuff. We need people that want more free stuff. So it's working as planned. Well, the other thing, too, is I think what the Democrats realize is the most sympathetic group of illegal immigrants is young people. And uh, under Obama, you had the Dreamers, under DACA, and then DAPA, the parent version. But, you know, DACA was popular. Trump said he would do something about it if they gave him a bill. They never did give him a bill because they couldn't get out of the House and the Senate. But public opinion polls show that most Americans are pretty sympathetic to minors who are brought across the border legally. And so the thought of giving them an eventual path to citizenship has been popular. And yet the Biden administration seems to be saying, well, we're going to flood the country with them. And yet last week, Biden says, oh, Kamala, your job is going to be to fix the border. Yet this last week, we got some clarification on what Kamala's role is or is not. J.J., play that clip for us. Do you have an update on whether the vice president plans to travel to Central America or to the border as part of um, her looking into the root causes of the immigration problem? 
I don't have an update on her travel, but since you gave me the opportunity, it's important to understand and know that she is focused on addressing root causes in the region. And so travel, I would expect, would be there, uh, the border, and, uh, and, and expediting processing at the border, opening shelters, ensuring we're moving kids out of border patrol facilities. That is really under the purview of the Department of Homeland Security and HHS. And they will all work together, but uh, the vice president's focus is on the region root causes. So, Riggy, they're saying she's trying to focus on the region's root causes, but nobody cares about that because the issue doesn't become the American problem until they show up at the border. Right. And so what they want to do is they want to say she's going to solve it. I mean, I love Saki how she starts off with, hi, I'm not her travel agent. I don't know what her schedule is, what flight she'll be flying on. I mean, it's just absolutely ridiculous. Then she spins about talking about the problems at the border. Kamala Harris was told to solve the problem. Now, all of a sudden, the problem's not at the border. The, the, the problem is, um, is in these countries, and we have to go find the root frickin' causes? Yeah, I mean— I'm you... sick and tired of finding the root causes of every idiot, every criminal. I mean, I don't want to know about your childhood and how bad it was and the problems that we had all that. It's all interesting to me. Yeah. But you did something wrong. Well, There's I, a problem. And, and we know what the root cause is. It's bad government. Yeah. It's failed states. It's unsuccessful societies. And the thing is, you know, to give Kamala some credit or some slack, rather, she can't fix the underlying root causes. She could go down there. She could report back. But she's going to come back and say, well, let's see. They have failed economies. They have insufficient economic systems. They don't have sufficient protections for private property. They don't respect individual rights. Their government's a basket case. It's corrupt. The police are probably corrupt. It's probably, you know, subject to gangs and other criminals. There's the root causes. Now, do we as the American society have any obligation to fix any of that? Well, not, not only that. I mean, it's, it's idiotic. You just went through the whole litany of the issues that they have there, and that's problems there. And there's not necessarily things that we can fix, and they sure don't get fixed when the best and the brightest in those countries leave because we let them in. If you have to stay and stay in, 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 the, in the problem, then you've got to start fixing the problem. But when Biden was talking about when he was vice president, the problems he solved, well, first of all, we found out what the issues were, and we realized in some areas they didn't have enough lighting at night. And so we went out there and got contractors. We paid the contractors directly because we didn't want to go pay the government because that would be corrupt. And they put some lights in and we realized the shootings went, what the frick are you talking about, you idiot? You put lights out in the streets and the shootings went down? Well, How I, stupid are we? And the thing is, I don't doubt that probably happened, but that's not a widespread fix. Now, one other great exchange is this last week as a reporter basically asked the White House press secretary why Migrant children were being taught in person when American kids in schools were not. What the White House thinks about what's happening in San Diego, mm -hmm. where some public school teachers are providing in-person instruction at the San Diego Convention Center to migrant children before their own public school students. And these kids, of course, about 130,000 of them have been at home doing online learning for about a year now. So what does the White House think about that? Well, I know you guys have done a fair amount of reporting on this, so maybe you'll have more details. Uh, as I understand it, San Diego public schools are opening in early April. April 12th. To hybrid learning. Okay. And students will be back in the classroom. And as I understand it, this is related part-time. Uh, and certainly, you know, our objective from the White House, opening up five days a week, uh, majority of schools across the country. And uh, they're on... But see, that's not really true. Remember, the White House goal was opening one day a week. And she's not addressing the issue, which is why are California public school teachers doing full-time in-person instruction to illegal immigrant kids? Okay, first of all, follow the money. There's a lot of money involved here to do this, and the state gets money from the federal government to do it. The state of California says their job is to educate every minor 
in California, whether here legally or illegally. If you got here last week, you're not being educated. We need to send some teachers down. Who's paying for it? Federal government. It's just a, it's a money thing. Think about this for a second. Those teachers are being paid by their school district now not to teach or to do Zoom classes or whatever. Now they're going down. They're getting two paychecks. They're getting a paycheck for not working with their kids, and they're getting a paycheck to go down to the convention center and teach kids. It's just just follow the money all the time. It's an absolute ripoff, and people are fed up with it. And you've got Saki who sits there and starts to explain, oh, you have to understand, and then there's spring break coming up, and da 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 No. People illegally came across the border, and you're teaching them. I don't want to hear that Easter's coming, okay? What I want to hear is why aren't our kids ha- that happening? And Saki is great at just taking you off. You know, She doesn't even a- uh, have to answer it. And if she does a good enough job of kind of shucking and jiving on whatever she's doing, the press corps will never ask her about it. Yeah, well, and the other thing, too, is right. they're not following up because they agree with her. And so whatever BS answer she gives is going to be good enough. That's right. Coming up, Biden wants vaccine passports, but states are already moving to block them. Coming right back. Welcome back. It's the Weekend Answer Show. Garrett Fay, Jim Brigheimer, KRLA, AM 70 The Answer, AM 590, Inland Empire, Orange County. Glad you're with us talking about the biggest stories of the week, talking about Biden's infrastructure plan. So fresh off a $1.9 trillion COVID bill, which was about 10% of that was about COVID. Now Biden's moving on to a $2 trillion infrastructure bill. He announced it this last week in Philadelphia. And uh, Riggy, like the COVID bill... What people are noticing is this has to do a very little bit about infrastructure and a whole lot with everything else. It seems to be the liberal wish list of priorities from decades past, including the desire to, yes, wipe out right-to-work laws, which I think 27 or 29 states have those. What do we make of this bill? Okay, first off, you have to understand what is the definition of infrastructure. It depends. It depends. So it's $2 trillion, which is enough to like you know take care of the whole freaking world. That's, that's how much money it is. So where are they really spending on it? About 25% of the infrastructure is what normal, everyday people consider to be infrastructure, which is a road, a bridge, a rail crossing, a harbor, an airport, something like that would be what you consider infrastructure. And the come from it, of it is, is that we pay federal gas taxes, we pay fees to the federal government, and there's ways of doing payback. And you have situations where you say to a, a state, you pay 25% of the cost, the feds will pay 75% of the cost, and it makes things get paid for and get done. But what they want to do right now is they want to make sure that the public, you know, they're so caught up in COVID that they don't really look at it. So they just call it infrastructure, just like they call the last bill COVID when it really wasn't COVID. And what the infrastructure literally is, I mean, they're literally talking about food stamps. Okay, literally, that they're talking about, you know, money for people uh, for unemployment. They're talking about more money for schools because they need it, not earmarked for buildings or infrastructure. So what they're doing is you're just kind of call it something else, but it's basically the Green New Scheme that they had before. It's every other kind of uh, 
social program they want to have, and they're just calling infrastructure. Well, what's so great is, yeah, there's this Orwellian language, and according to a Washington Post article, they have just what they're calling transportation infrastructure, which is what most Americans would understand, which is highways, bridges and roads, public transit, passenger and freight rail. But then you get into electric vehicles, transportation inequities, infrastructure resilience. Okay, that kind of falls under transportation in general. Then there's what they're calling infrastructure at home, which is clean drinking water, 110 billion, high-speed broadband, electrical infrastructure. Here we go. Affordable and sustainable housing, 200 billion. Public schools, early learning centers and community colleges, 130 billion. And then there's the best part is the caretaking economy, 400 billion of home and community-based care for elderly and disabled people. Riggy, this well, is a slush fund. Well, no, in infrastructure, you have to take care of old people to build the highway. You didn't know that. It's because they're not driving or riding on the highway, or is it because they use the highway so much because they go to the hospital so often? Well, I think it's because people that come take care of them have to go on the highway. So then you just go ahead and pass it off. Listen, th- that's just half the problem. The next problem is they have to pay for it, right? Well, or not. Or not. But what do they, they want to do to pay for it? They want to raise taxes massively. On... On, on businesses and, of course, all the quote-unquote rich people. But what you find out is there's not enough rich people out there. Well, yeah, this is the typical liberal saw of we're just going to raise taxes on corporations, those big, awful, greedy corporations. And this last week, Biden identified Amazon as one of those evil corporations. But let's be honest. Nobody hates Amazon. Everyone loves Amazon. That's why everyone has Amazon Prime, because if you want something, you click one button and it comes to your house the very next day. Heck, you can do all your grocery shopping. I'm getting lazy. I just use Amazon Prime or Amazon Fresh, rather, for my groceries. So I go on there. As long as you spend $50, you know what? The delivery is free and it comes later that day. I don't have to see anyone. All I have to see is the Amazon website. So nobody hates Amazon. If Biden's going to try and sell this plan on the premise that Amazon is evil, that's not going to work. Yeah. And so he's looking to, to, to raise the federal taxes on corporations from uh, 21 to 28 percent, which would be a massive hit. He says he's going to raise, of the $2, billion, $2 trillion, he's going to raise $1.8 trillion of it in higher taxes. What it doesn't say is they're going to spend the the uh, two trillion over the next three or four years, but they're going to tax it over the next fifteen years. So it's just it's not a, a one for one. Yet in in the in the G seven, the United States will have the highest tax rate of the G seven, and that just hurts us. You know, selling our products overseas. Well, and the thing too that Biden and other Democrats don't understand, or at least won't tell you, is. Higher, you know, big corporations are not going to end up paying more money because there's several realities. Number one, they can park their money overseas. They can put their assets overseas. Their accountants and lawyers are smarter than the federal government. They'll find a way not to. Now, one of the more problematic issues is Mayor Pete, the former mayor of South Bend who ran for president, dropped out early and got rewarded with the position of transportation secretary. He was talking this last week about one way to raise money to pay for all this boondoggle. What about a mileage-based tax? So I think that shows a lot of promise. If if we believe in that so-called user-pays principle, the idea that part of how we pay for roads is you pay based on how much you drive, Uh, the gas tax used to be the obvious way to do it. It's not anymore. So a so-called vehicle miles traveled tax or mileage tax, whatever you want to call it, could be a way. 
Yeah, so what what is you're not hearing there is because people are starting to drive electric cars and according to California, what is it, fifteen more years there won't be any gas cars here? Yeah, twenty thirty five Gavin wants electric cars. Yeah, so only. that's what, thirteen, fourteen years, fifteen years from fourteen years from now. They have electric only. So if you charge by the gallon, you can't do it. So we have to find some other way. But I mean it's it's like people when you lease a car and they tell you here's your great low lease thing, but if you drive the car more than, you know, six thousand miles a year right, you get hosed. It's hosed for so many so you realize, oh, I guess it wasn't a great of a lease deal as I really saw because you couldn't actually use the car. So here is what he's doing. He's saying, oh, yeah, we'll just start doing it basically on miles. Now, listen, now you get the miles. You get calculations on your car. Then you got GPS to figure out where you've been. I mean, the government getting involved in this level of doing it makes no sense whatsoever. But, hey, Pete Buttigieg, he's our, he's our boy from uh, Indiana. He's, you know – he knows all about infrastructure. Yeah, yeah. This is someone who couldn't fix the potholes, and now he wants to reorient the entire transportation system. But Riggy, following off what you said, is an important point of, yeah, this would require the government to track your car and track your miles. Well, Biden has an idea of tracking, and he wants to have what he's calling a COVID vaccine passport. Now, the idea here would be that this is something you carry that enables you to engage in society, to go into certain stores, to travel. But yet it would require some kind of organized database to track this. And so already certain states are pushing back. Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, he vowed this last week to ban them. And in Ohio, state legislators are moving to ban these idea of vaccine passports. And we're getting this is a dangerous idea. Now, I've heard some people on the left say, well, no, it's not a centralized database. All it is is a card that you'll carry that shows that you have it, which, of course, leads me to think, well, why not just fake the card? You know, right. but in your hand, that's not going to be what it is. They want to have a central database because then they can say we know who's had it and who's hasn't because that's the only way we'll prevent cheating and ensure it's reliable. So what it's really doing is an invitation for a massive government expansion and intrusion to your private medical issues. Right. And they're trying to do it right now as COVID's over. Listen, COVID is in the, is in the eighth, ninth inning. This is over. I'm going to tell you right now. I, I'll be getting my, you know, they, they opened it up for 50 years old, right? So I can go get my shot now. I'm going to get my shot and I'm going to give it three or four weeks or five weeks or six weeks. And then I'm not wearing a mask anymore. Okay. Because if I have my shot, I can't carry the disease. I can't spread the disease. I can't do it. And the American public has to stop acting like a bunch of babies. Get your shot and say, Hey, we're done with this deal. Um, we don't have to do it and we're going to just keep on moving forward and do a normal life. When we return, SoCal enters the orange chair on COVID spectrum and the governor weighs in on the recall. Don't change that dial. All right. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Answer Show. I'm Garrett Fay. I'm a business and election law litigator. I'm with Jim Righeimer. He is a businessman and developer, husband and father to three girls who are all way better looking and taller than him. Riggy, how are you doing this week? I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. But yeah, I married up. You, well, you literally married up. I married in up. In every way. I, I did. I did. My wife, my, I have a six foot tall wife. And um, what can I say? <laughs> well, you can say you married up. I can say she has no taste in men. 
Or she had good long-term taste. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe. She saw future potential when she few others did. She believed in me. Yeah. All right. Now, talking about some COVID news, and we got some good news this last week because the CDC director came out and said that, hey, guess what? Vaccinated people do not carry the virus. Our data from the CDC today suggests, um, you know, that that vaccinated people do not carry the virus, don't get sick, um, and, and that it's not just in the clinical trials, but it's also in real world data. So, it, like I was saying in my previous rant, let's get it really clear. We're at the beginning of April right now. Um, I'm getting my shot. It'll be good in like four weeks or whatever. By the way, when you get your first shot... Well, the first shot gives you like 50% immunity. Which is more than enough, right? Right. And then the second shot just gives you like your booster. So you're still not transmitting or getting anybody. So here's what I'm saying right now. I'm, 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 I'm laying down the gauntlet. We go through April. We go through May. We get to June. June 1st, I refuse to wear a mask anywhere. And the rest of the country has to figure it out. The rest of California has to figure it out. Quit being a freaking sheep going over the thing. If you have your shots and they are effective, that basically they're, you've had them for enough time, done. I, if I have to wear a freaking uh, sign on my chest to say I'm not wearing a mask because I had the shot, idiot. There's no reason to wear a mask. Wearing a mask at that point is just theater. Now, I do it now because I don't want to upset people. And I do it now because I'm, I'm a person who likes to just get along with people. I don't want to do it. But at a certain Is that point, really you, Ricky? Are you Mr. Go-Along and, and Get-Along? Actually, I am. I am. <laughs> I mean, I have my positions, and I'm very strong in my positions, and I don't back on them. But around social settings and stuff, I want to get along. I don't like to have conflict. If I can work things out, I, I, I crack a joke. I do whatever it is to kind of keep everything calm. But I'm telling you right now, June 1, Riggy is not wearing a mask. Well, the other, thing, the other thing too, we found out this last week from the CDC is that over eighty, or sorry, eighty percent of COVID hospitalizations were for overweight or obese people. So we now know who is susceptible to the virus. It's the old, it's the sick, it's the obese. There's obviously a high correlation between people who have obesity and di- diabetes. So if you're not in that category. You're going to generally be okay anyway. And I think the only thing I would disagree with is you're saying, you know, I'm not going to wear the mask because I have the vaccine. Well, the other thing we know is is if you're relatively young and healthy, if you're under 50 and you're healthy, your natural immunity to this thing is higher than the immunity you have with the vi- with the vaccine. Yeah, I mean, so basically, really it's like every, the flu. It's right, like so, the flu. So really everyone could say, hey, I'm done with the mask. And what we've seen in Texas, which is so important, is remember – In basically mid-March, March March 17 or so, the governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, said, we are done. We're done with the stay-at-home order. We're done with the statewide mask mandate. Our own governor, Gavin Newsom, predicted the skies would fall. Well, you know what's fallen? The COVID numbers. They've continued to fall in Texas the last two and a half weeks. There has not been the emergency they thought there was. Now, good news closer at home, L.A. and Orange counties have moved into the orange tier, What does that mean? Well, it means things are relaxing, so you can go to more businesses, you can open more businesses, and some businesses don't have any more restrictions in terms of capacity, but you do have to have sort of distancing and or other alternatives. Um, And good thing about uh, L.A., at least, is four out of five L.A. County residents over the age of 16 could be vaccinated by June. Now, Riggy, that brings up an interesting issue because the question is, do L.A. County residents or anyone, for that matter, around the age of 16 even need the vaccine my answer would be no there's no evidence of transmission or infection amongst a lot of people under age 20 
Right, right. So, it, it, listen, we know that, but the big government people were never going to be able to fight that issue on. So I'm okay with, like, fine, get your vaccinations, get it done, get it over with, get the numbers that those people need to have. But as, a, as a, an individual, to sit there and say, after you've been vaccinated and everything's in good shape – as far as you can't pass it on to wear a mask is just theater. It's just to go out there and, and show how woke you are when you don't have to do it. And, and it's going to take a lot of people because in the end, listen, they can pick you off one at a time. So if I go out there and I'm the only person not wearing the mask, they'll pick me off. But if other people out there, other other patriots out there in this country are saying, I'm not wearing the mask. It's been a couple months since I had my shot. I'm absolutely fine. Here's my little badge or card or whatever. I'm done. I'm not doing this deal. Um, it'll be over with. But if we all just kind of kowtow to the government, you know, the government's going to us forever. We're at the end of this thing. The last thing we need is to start having systems and GPSs on our cars and how much mileage we do and do we have a, a vaccinated car. We don't need all that kind of garbage. We want to end this thing and get back to normal. Well, the other thing is kids are still not in schools. And so the extent to which schools don't reopen full time, it just breeds anger and resentment. It's why the recall is going to happen. Uh, this last week, they asked the VP, Kamala Harris, about, you know, what do you think about the whole teacher thing and students? And she gave one of her typically insane answers that led to her cackling. Here's that. More people are seeing that, yeah, affordable child care is a big deal. More parents are seeing the value of educators when they had to bring their kids <laughs> and say, we're not paying them nearly enough. <laughs> now, see, what's so insane is no, no parent thinks that. No, it's just ridiculous. So her little joke is, is a comment that, that they, they found the school board members set up in Northern California where they said, oh, the people are really just upset because there's no one to babysit their kids anymore. Yeah, they want their daycare back. They want their daycare back. And so that's what they call you know, teaching is their daycare. The reality of it is that we've been doing this for hundreds of years in the United States. We did it across the plains when people came to California in the 1800s. We set up local schoolhouses. And then it's where you would the, the community would hire a teacher. That teacher would, would, would educate your 20 or 30 kids in your community. And that's basically the school system started here in the, in the United States with that. And, and it's not babysitting. It's just doing it. And it's better to have it set up where you have one person teaching 30 than having every parent who's trying to work and do something, do their kids at home. So it's not child care. And it's not, oh, they should pay them more because I can't handle it. This is not funny, Kamala. I mean, she never had kids. She has no idea what it is to raise kids. And, and to go out there and start laughing at parents because they're like, no, I want my kid in school because that's where they're going to learn. Our kids are not learning right now if they're not in school. They're not learning. They're not socializing. They're not playing sports. They're falling behind. They're having mental health issues. But she perfectly encapsulates why we're having a recall in California. This is the Bay Area liberal mindset, not understanding how the average person lives. And what's interesting is this last week, Politico interviewed Arnold Schwarzenegger about the recall because, as people remember, back in 2003, he won a recall election to replace Gray Davis. And they asked him about some of the comments Gavin Newsom had said, who he's trying to dismiss this effort as a Republican power grab. Schwarzenegger said not so much. He said there are a lot of similarities between California then in 03 and California now a lot of widespread popular dissatisfaction there's these certain events that are going that are triggering people back in 03 it was the power going out now it's covid and basically riggy i think schwarzenegger had some comments that knew some like you better wake up and take this seriously because you can't just dismiss this as a partisan power grab 
It's not. It's not a power grab. I mean, the amount of Republicans, first of all, in the state has dropped dramatically. Uh, the big, biggest growing party is the decline to state party, which is people that don't want to pick either party because they're fed up with both of them. And and that's just basically what we're doing here in this country. So, you know, and, and you talk about what happened last time. We got power failures now again. We have several million people at a time don't have power, like a third world country here in California, the finest, greatest state on the ocean, beautiful weather. Everything's fantastic out there. But no, we're just destroying it. It's amazing how the elected officials in this community do that. And it's just it's just crazy. It's just crazy. Well, and the other thing, too, is what Arnold had going for him is what the Republicans need to find now, which is a well-known, well-financed candidate who could bring people together. I think if they find that person, they can get rid of Newsom. Now, a poll came out this last week showing a majority of Californians wanted to retain Newsom, but I still think it's too early. I think until this thing is actually known to be on the ballot and there's going to be an election, I think Newsom has the advantage. I think once this thing is actually set for an election, then I think the Democrats are going to start announcing because they'll want to be the backup just in case. Right, right. And then he's going to have some problems because he has to actually defend his record. And his record sucks. Yeah, guys like Steyer, those kind of guys who have billions of dollars to go, ah, I think I'll be governor. Right. Coming up, an update on the preferred pronoun wars and George Floyd murder trial. Be right back. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. It's the Weekend Answer Show. I am Garrett Fay. I am with Jim Righeimer. Time to update you on the preferred pronoun wars, cancel culture, and also the George Floyd murder trial. That's ongoing. He's being charged with third-degree murder and some other things. We're going to start, though, first with an Ohio philosophy professor who's been teaching philosophy for 23 years, Nicholas Merriweather, professor of philosophy at Shawnee State University. Well, he was in the news this last week because he's had an experience where he refused to refer to a male student by female pronouns, offered to refer to the student by his actual name, was threatened by the university to say, hey, if you don't toe the line on the pronoun thing, you could be fired. So he sued the university affirmatively back in 2018 for a declaration that they were violating his rights. The district court judge threw out the lawsuit. Well, this last week, the a federal appeals court in Ohio, and this is Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals. These are all Trump appointees. They overturned the district court judge, and they said, uh, traditionally, American universities have, be- have been beacons of intellectual diversity and academic freedom. They have pride themselves on being forums where controversial issues are discussed and debated, and they have tried not to stifle debate by picking sides. But Shawnee State chose a different route. It punished a professor for his speech on a hotly contested issue, and it did so despite the constitutional protections afforded by the First Amendment. The district court dismissed the professor's free speech and free exercise claims. We th- see things differently and reverse. And so, Riggy, what this means is... This judge can, or this professor rather, can proceed with this lawsuit against Shawnee State University. This is an important decision, not only because it's important for this one professor in this university, but this has a lot of implications for other public universities. Again, public university implicates First Amendment, free speech issues. Basically, it's a professor saying, no, I'm not towing the line on this new orthodoxy. Big deal. 
Yeah. So what's the orthodoxy? Remember, it was it was a, a biological man who said he was now a woman. Okay, and he has a woman's name or whatever, and the professor said, I'll call you by your name, that's fine, but I'm not going to say you're a she when you're not a she, you're a he, and I'm not going to be intellectually dishonest and just make it up because you want me to go ahead and say that. And, and, be, and he's at a university, and the university you know, basically wrote him up and said, you can be fired if you don't go ahead and, give, and t- call people by the pronoun they want to be called by. So this professor's look at this going, this is crazy. This is the same case, the same case that made Professor Jordan Peterson in uh, Canada famous. And if you haven't, if you don't know who Jordan Peterson is, you, you don't look at YouTube. I mean, this is a yeah. Professor. He's a well-known psychiatrist and our psychologist, one of those two, yeah. really pushing back against the whole cancel culture and the speech orthodoxy and the attempt to basically trample free speech rights. Because they did the same thing there, same idea. They were passing a law or regulation in Canada that you had to call people by by their preferred pronoun, meaning if it was a man and it wanted to be called by a woman, you had to say she, and and you don't have to now. Um, and, and his point also was. It's not that he wouldn't. It's just not going to have government tell me what to say and how to speak. I, I'll call you. If I want to call you a she, I'll call you a she. If I don't, I won't. But I'm not going to have government tell me what I have to do, and I'm going to be sued or lose my job or whatever. And then what happens is there's this whole cancel culture. Now, I don't know what's happened at Shawnee State. I don't know how this, the students are reacting to it. But in many places, if you, were, if you were in Northern California right now and you did this, they would be protesting in front of your house if you said, I'm not going to call this transgender person a she. Um, when it when it when you say it's a he, and you notice too, the transgender. Why is the transgenders always guys want to be chicks? I, I, it's, yeah, I, it's you never, very very rarely the opposite. The opposite. It's just guys like, want to be chicks. And why would a woman want to be a man? It's rough. Well, who needs it? <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Well, the point I had with with my with my one daughter playing basketball a couple weeks ago, the person she was playing with was a guy. Now. He had like long hair, and he, and he tried to look like a girl. But I mean, he had like sideburns and and facial hair, and it's a it's a guy. He had testosterone to spare, probably. Yeah, it's a guy who's big, big arms and everything else. And I've got my freshman daughter going up against him. You know, now as it turned out, my daughter's team still won because um, he played like a girl. That's just a joke, honey. I know she's listening. But, I mean, the reality of it is is we can't have this, and we're going to destroy destroy women's sports, Title IX, everything else that we fought for for the last 30, 40 years to make sure that women were treated as equals. We're going to destroy that by going ahead and saying, hey, listen, we're not going to have men be in all your sports. We're not going to have men take away the opportunities that you used to have as women playing in women's sports. And on a really fundamental level, the question is, and the professor addressed this in an op-ed he wrote in The Hill, so why not simply call students – what they wish to be called. And he pointed out how he was willing to call the student by his actual name. But then he said, what I cannot do, however, is to speak in such a way that implies that a man is a woman or a woman a man. In other words, to refer to a student in such a way that I imply something that is not true, that I know to be false, to effectively lie, and so violate my conscience as a philosopher and as a Christian. And Riggy, he has several things going against him. Number one, he's a man. Number two, he's white. Number three, he's a Christian. But this gets to the nub of the issue, which is we should not be forced to say what we think is not true. And the idea that I have to refer to a biological man as a woman because they believe that, I have no obligation to embrace and endorse their lie. And that's what's so dangerous about this. Yeah. And, and, and again, 
then they go to this cancel culture. Now, if you're a professor, if you're in the media, if you write articles, if if you're you know you make your living on say you know getting your the word out, you're in the radio um, and use Twitter and all that, they start attacking you and they cancel you, and it basically gets to a point where you just you can't get a gig, you can't get a job, you, none of your columns get picked up by any newspapers. You're out of business, and and that's what this group is doing. They really don't care what's right or wrong. They just want to go ahead and kind of crush you, just absolutely get crush you. And and God bless this professor who's sticking up for it and fighting out there. I hope more professors and people across the country. But here's here's what's going on. This is Shawnee State in Ohio. This is happening everywhere. The reality of it is we're not hearing about people fighting back, are we? Not as much as we should. We, we're not hearing about it at all. So I'm telling you right now, folks, we, uh, talk to your kids in school. You know, I, I talk. I got one daughter in college. I'm just like, listen, you got to push back. You got to push back. Well, you know, I'm just looking to get my grade. No, you know what? If you start selling your soul in college because you just want to get your grade, life isn't going to change for you. It's you gotta, not going to get easier when you go to corporate America. You don't have to be outrageous. You don't have to be disrespectful. But you don't have to just go ahead and give the pablum back to the teacher because you think, well, they're a liberal and this is what they want. Because you're just literally selling your soul. You're lying to yourself. And if you lie to yourself in college or in, in high school or school, it's not going to get any better. You're not also going to get some some guts to say, hey, that's too much. I'm not going to do this. You're just going to go along and be sheep. And the last thing you want is your kids to grow up and be sheep. Yeah. Now, briefly updating you on the George Floyd murder trial. This got going this last week. It started on Monday. And, Reggie, what we saw from a lot of the coverage is they kept showing the video a lot. And obviously, the video was awful. Uh, the Derek Chauvin, the police officer, is being tried with third-degree murder and other charges. And so the prosecution is weighing or have it, relying heavily on the video. They're bringing witnesses, and the witnesses were all talking about what they saw, what they felt. And what's interesting is sort of the media narrat- narratives that came out of this was one of them was, well, these witnesses felt bad that they didn't intervene or how guilty they felt or you know, so much heavy on emotion. And yet the thing is, from the defense side, the defense side is going to talk about how they think he, he George Floyd, died of card, cardiac arrhythmia resulting from hypertension, coronary disease, ingesting methamphetamines and fentanyl, and the adrenaline flowing through his body, which already which compromised his already compromised heart. And yet, if you watch the trial and the video, and the, you know what you see is this is like an emotional parade, which doesn't seem to actually get to the elements of the crime. Well, not not only that, the way they kind of set it up. I mean, they had the one woman there who worked in the fire department. Then some people are saying she's a firefighter. I don't think she is. I don't know. I could be wrong on that. But they have her wearing her uniform, her her fire you know, department uniform, um, which it may, it may be a paramedic uniform, maybe an ambulance driver uniform. I'm not sure. But basically, it looks like an official uniform. It looks like you're in law enforcement of some sort. She wasn't wearing that when she was out there. No, she was thing. off duty. She was off duty. And so now you have somebody come in with your uniform to kind of make it look a certain way. Listen, this this case is all about emotions. They're, they're gonna, they're, they want to show people that we care about the emotions of people. They had the one guy on this week that um, hey, we kept on taking Kleenex to, to – he was crying. He took like 10 of them. And, and it was just kind of like crazy just to show how upset he was that he didn't do anything about it. Now, listen, some of these emotions can be true, but it's not – 
it's not it's not the case of the elements of a crime. Murder has a certain standards of what you have to do. Second degree murder has certain standards of what you have to do. And they're not going down this road. I think they're looking for what what, what happened in the O.J. Simpson case was jury nullification. People just the whole jury being so emotional that they have to convict him of something. Because in the end, if you if you're you know, Minnesota or, or you're, you're, you're any of these states, these issues are happening. You're looking at where, where what cities are they going to burn down if they don't find these guys guilty? Right. What cities are they going to burn? How much are they going to trash and destroy our state? Well, the other thing, too, is the legal system is not neat. It's not susceptible to these narratives. And so to the extent to which the evidence is compelling, that's really what should drive this thing. Yep. Coming up, some good news you don't want to miss. Be right back. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. This is the Weekend Answer Show. I'm Garrett Fay. I am with Jim Righeimer. We've talked about a lot of national stories, some local stories. We want to talk about some good news. And not only is the weather getting better, not only is baseball coming back. Uh, Riggy, you got the Randy's Donuts open in Costa Mesa. Have you been there yet? I have. I've been by it. The line is just down Harbor Boulevard. Now you got to wait. Wait, wait till after the morning rush. Yeah. I've been twice, and don't go through the drive-through. You have to go into the store. Yeah, it's a lot better. And yeah, just just walk in, yeah. just park your car. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest, not as good as sidecar donuts, but pretty good, pretty good serviceable everyday donut. Yeah, yeah. All right, time for some good news story, and we got a great news story about some military families find, found themselves on hard times. Yet, thanks to the CBS Evening News, they're actually going to be able to. Eat? Riggy, tell us about this story. Yeah, I mean, so you basically, when you start uh, deploying people out there, different things happen in military families where the, the, the spouse has to stay home, take care of the kids. Maybe they can't do the job, and, and their pay drops dramatically for the household money that comes in. And so they're in a situation where they're finding out that you've got people in the military that are literally getting food stamps or going to food banks to get food. Which is appalling, by Which, the which way. is absolutely appalling. And so CBS News did a story about this last week, and by the time it was the story was over, they had collected from almost 4,000 4, people, they collected $600,000 that was given to the Military Family Advisory Network to get meals for military families. And this is going to enable 1 million meals for military families. And they're doing this in the form of gift cards and other things. And this is really touching because you think like, you know, they talk about who are the heroes in society. We've really kind of watered down and dumbed down that idea of the hero. You know, now we're having quote unquote hero pay for grocery store workers getting four bucks more an hour. No one talks about the military and especially the National Guard types who are just trying to live their life and they get deployed, they get called up, the family all of a sudden can't work. And then you go from being generally okay to on the brink of poverty, having to go to a food bank. I mean, not only is this sad, this is probably, you know, borderline shameful for some of these people. Yeah, it, it's kind of one of the problems. Then the military's always had the situation where, you know, a young person goes in the military and they, you know, spend the hours and, and the time there. It's when they're attached to a family that all of a sudden things don't work because in the military, they're living on base, you know, their three meals a day are taken care of, but the family isn't. So let's hear it for the uh, CBS uh, News viewers who donated those dollars. Yeah, kudos to them. That's going to do it for us this week on the weekend. The answer, but we will be back next week. In the meantime, keep it here. Check out the show on the podcast, The Weekend Answer. We will see you then.